Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Uh, Good morning. Good morning to everyone. Wasn't it a great time of worship this morning, whether you're here, whether you're at home? It's really just wonderful to be in the presence of Almighty God, Uh, even when we've had a a crazy week, you know, and we've had such a, a, you know, troubling time in our country, the awful events of uh, Wednesday in our nation's capital, but you know, God's above it all. God is uh, good. And uh, I addressed it on Wednesday evening. If you didn't see that, check it out. We have uh, the recording on our Facebook page. And I really believe that God just lined up his word for that evening. Uh, it fits so well. He knows what he's doing. He's knows, he knows what he's doing. We sung about uh, his goodness this morning. We can trust him. We can trust him in it all. And we should. We should. This morning, uh, I'm not going to spend uh, you know, time on our country. As I said, just check out the Facebook uh, recording. I want to continue where uh, I began last week this morning. Last week, I spoke about what are we here for? And not, not in a deep uh, existential way, why are we here? You know, what's the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? And those are all good questions, don't get me wrong. And th- they need to be answered, but I'm talking more about a real practical sense. What are we what are we in church this morning for? Why are you connecting and joining online? Why am I standing up here on, on this platform? Why are you sitting here in the, the seats? And I want to talk about that this week. It's, uh, I'll just say, part two. It's a continuation. And I'll start again with me. And by way of a little bit of introduction, I want to read to you a little excerpt from a book, a book about being a pastor. And why not? I'm up here and sometimes I look to others who've been there and done that, so to speak, and get a little help. So the author uh, is, uh, was the pastor of a large and a well-respected church and wrote this, wrote this. One time I attended a convention in Indiana. During three days, I was called to preach once, just one time. Every time a certain man saw me, a certain young man, I was eating. He had only heard me speak one time. Finally, he came to me and said, could I ask you a question? Sure, I replied. What do you do for a job? I'm a minister, a pastor. Oh, I know you're a pastor, the young man said, but what else do you do? I don't do anything else. This is all I do. His eyes grew wide with astonishment. You mean that's all you do? What else do you do with your time? To to him, a pastor is someone who preaches one time in three days and eats the rest of the time. Evidently, this young man had the idea that it was great fun to pastor. 
how far from the facts he was, how little he knew of the immense responsibility and the intense pressure involved in fulfilling this calling faithfully. And that, uh, that I read from a, a book that's fairly well-worn that I've consulted many times, and it's called Your Pastor, Your Shepherd, written by one of, our, one of my predecessors here, and that's Pastor James Beale. And I liked what he had to say, especially this line about the immense responsibility and the intense pressure involved in fulfilling this calling faithfully. He knew what he was talking about. He'd been there and done that, and of course, pastored through many seasons of turmoil in a country, etc. And uh, let's just add to it right now a global pandemic uh, that uh, closed the church for months, and it upset and changed uh, just about everything that we do in the church and our school and uh, every single ministry has been uh, affected in one form or another. So yes, indeed, there's more to being a pastor than just preaching. That's absolutely true. But I'm up here this morning and preaching, well, that's a primary. That's a primary for a pastor in the uh, on a Sunday morning, standing before the congregation, and that's what I'm here for, uh, to preach. And so to that end, uh, what I started and began last week, uh, I want to continue. And what I said last week was one of the reasons I'm here is to strengthen and to encourage and to comfort, and that's all for the building up of the church. That's 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14 that speaks to that. Also, I said one of the pastoral roles is that of being a prophet. And prophet not in the sense of a future teller. There's plenty of those out there right now, and I don't know, a lot of them. Let's just say I'll stick with the pages of the Bible, the Word of God. So a prophet in this sense, one who speaks for God, conveying his word and his will to a particular group of people at a particular time and a particular place, and that the word that's spoken is attested to. It's confirmed, it's verified, it's legitimized by the authentic written word of God, the revealed word of God in the Holy Bible, our scriptures. And that's a prophet in that sense. That's a part of the pastoral ministry. And that's to bring you the word of God, the whole word of God. When you read through the Bible, you don't find a prophet who would sift through the word that God had given saying, oh, I'll keep this part and I'll give that to the people. It sounds great. It's nice. Nah, that's too harsh. I won't do that. Uh, no, they... They brought the whole word of God. And it doesn't mean there wasn't reluctant prophets. There were from time to time. Uh, men like Jonah. Jonah ran away. And then uh, he was brought to his senses after a little unplanned cruise in the belly of a great fish. And after that little experience, he brought the full and the complete word of God to the city of Nineveh. And uh, Moses was a prophet. He didn't want the job either. He gave a whole list of excuses. And really sort of incited God's anger. But Moses then took the job and he brought the entire word of God. He gave the law of the Lord. 
Whether it was a good feeling or not, he gave the law. There was a, a prophet named Balaam. He was a, not really the, the best of prophets. He was a prophet for hire. But even he said, I can only speak what the Lord gives me. Nothing more, but nothing less. There's the example of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, uh, in chapter 20 of his namesake book, he described being completely overwhelmed. This is really difficult, extremely difficult, bringing God's word. He was so overwhelmed, he even said, why did I ever come out of my mother's womb for all this sorrow and trouble? Yet, in that same chapter, chapter 20, Jeremiah expressed this, I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name. If I don't do that, I won't be able to keep it in. My, his word is in my heart like fire, like a fire shut up in my bones. And I'm weary if I continue holding it in. And he ended with this, indeed I cannot. He couldn't hold in God's word. And despite the difficulties or whatever the situation was, Jeremiah brought the full word of God. I mentioned Ezekiel last week, another prophet of God. He was instructed by God, speak my word. Give my entire word. And he repeated it multiple times. Give my word, whether the people listen to it or fail to listen. So in a practical sense, in a practical sense, being a pastor, prophet, it's to bring the complete, the full word of God, the unvarnished word of God. Parts that may seem uncomfortable. And then for you, it's to listen or to fail to listen. But it's better to listen. And I can't choose to give, give out bits and pieces and set aside other parts. And you can't choose to listen to some things you like and set aside the things you don't like. None of us can. None of us can can pick or choose what parts of the word of God that we are going to receive or reject. It's all of it. Now, let's expand on these basics. And I want to do that with a word from Jesus. And it's a very uh, familiar word. Many of us know it. It's at the end of... um, Matthew's gospel, there's a section that's called the Great Commission. That's what uh, we've called it. Jesus speaking to his uh, disciples and he said that all authority is uh, given to me on heaven and on earth. And he said, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And we all share in that. We all share in that. That's called the Great Commission. We all have a part. And we hear it paraphrased often. We hear it reiterated. We hear it at the end of uh, the Treehouse videos. Tell others about Jesus. Just a paraphrase of part of the Great Commission. It's part of my assignment making disciples, baptizing and teaching. 
but I've got to do it giving the whole word of God. And just a minute ago, I didn't do a very good job. Here I quoted to you Matthew 28, but sort of off the cuff. Go make disciples, yes. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, yes. Teaching them everything I commanded you, yes. That's the Great Commission. But it, it, it's missing two little words. Six letters in all. Two little words, but those six letters are very critical to this to this message from Jesus that we call the Great Commission. So instead of quoting it off the cuff, let's get the whole word of God from Scripture, from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Let's read them. The disciples had gathered to Jesus, and verse 18 begins, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them. And now, the six little letters, the two little words, to obey. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So there's the full word of God. And if I'm not careful, if I'm sloppy, and I misquote the word of God, I'm in danger of becoming a false prophet. And I never want that. It's never my intention. I never want to do that. This, this one little line in the Great Commission, it's, it's packed. It goes way beyond just the idea of teaching. You know, it's one thing to teach for the sake of knowledge so that we can gain some knowledge in our, our heads, but it's quite another. It's quite another to teach with the purpose of making application. Jesus said, teach to obey Everything, everything I have commanded. Not teach so that, oh, people could store up knowledge about some of the things that I've suggested. No, teach, obey all of it, everything. And their commands, they're not suggestions. Obedience to God, obedience to the things which Jesus taught and he explained to greater depth. Places like Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. These areas where Jesus taught with greater explanation, obedience to these things, it's a first priority. A woman once shouted to Jesus, blessed is the mother who birthed you and nursed you. And this is how Jesus replied. This is Luke eleven twenty eight. Jesus replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. 
See, for Jesus, obedience to the word of God, that's a core characteristic of being one of his followers. That's a a key component to being a Christian. Teaching this, though, teaching obedience, that's not such an easy task. How do we teach obedience? How's obedience taught? In raising children, parents teach obedience. We heard uh, some suggestions in the treehouse video. Well, we might highlight consequences to children, punishment and reward. If you say to a child, if you don't touch the hot stove, if they touch the hot stove, there's an immediate consequence. And they realize, well, I won't do that again. They, they learn obedience through that consequence. Don't put your hand in the cookie jar. No, no, don't do that. You need to eat your dinner first. So the son or daughter gets a cookie before dinner. Well, no more cookies for a week. But if you wait till after your dinner, well, you get the the little reward. You get a cookie. And that's one approach. That's one approach that parents use to teach children. But how about to adults? How do I teach adults to obey the teaching of Jesus? That's a little bit different. That's uh, it's a little harder to do. Jesus preached repentance. Well, I can't ground you for two weeks if you don't repent. I mean, I, I might like to. I just can't. I can preach it. And I will. And repeat it. But it must be received. It it has to be received and put into practice. And that's precisely the point that Jesus made in the great words that he gave in what we call the Great Commission. Teaching, it's beyond merely just receiving the knowledge. To obey, that's to put it into practice. That's to activate it in your life. Apply it. Apply what you've learned. We need to know the word of God. Yes, absolutely. But we need to live it. And live it rightly. Apply it in everyday situations. So yes, I will preach it and I'll repeat it. And also offer ways that you can apply it in your life and make application. You can listen. You can fail to listen. I just watched an interesting uh, talk that Billy Graham gave about this idea of Well, at least part of it. He gave a little example about failing to listen. It was a TED Talk. I don't know if you're familiar with TED Talks. I had no idea Billy Graham would have given a TED Talk. But he did back in 1998. And TED is T-E-D. The T in TED is technology. And back in 1998, many of the TED Talks, they really centered on technology. Billy Graham was in San Jose giving a TED Talk to a a group of Silicon Valley computer people, right? He's there in the heart of Silicon Valley. And he even wondered out loud, why is a man of religious discipline standing before this audience of tech people? But he said, I was invited. 
And I accepted the invitation. And he was going to speak about technology. And he was going to share Jesus Christ as he did it. And he did a fantastic job. Now to put his audience at ease, he told a little story. He's a humble man. He told a little self-deprecating story. He said he was on an airplane once. And there was a drunk man on the plane. And he said this man was very unruly. He was slapping the stewardesses. He was pinching them. He got up and he just caused a a, a scene in the entire cabin and everyone was upset about this man. Well, Billy Graham had a friend with him and that friend finally confronted this inebriated individual and he said, hey, do you know who's sitting here? This is Billy Graham. The preacher. And this man who had way too much to drink said, oh, really? Billy Graham? Well, I'd like to meet him. And he walked over and he saw me. Well, that is Billy Graham. And he said, sir, put her there. I want to let you know how much your sermons have affected my life. And See, you can hear it. You can hear it over and over. You can listen. But if you don't put it into practice, what have you really learned? And that's why I'll preach the word and I'll repeat it. But how else? How else might obedience be be taught? We heard earlier in the treehouse video by example. Yeah, that's a great way too. What's a biblical example? What is a biblical uh, model of obedience being applied to life? And I find no better model than that of being a servant. The first miracle, the very first miracle recorded in the Gospel of John gives some insight into this idea of being a servant. It's a well-known miracle of Jesus where at a wedding he turned water into wine. And I want to read to you uh, John chapter 2 verses 3 to 10 that gives us this narrative about this great miracle. It says, beginning verse 3, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. Sounds like an airplane cabin. But he says, You saved the best till now. So it's apparent from this little narrative that 
the servants regarded Jesus' mother as a, a person of authority. They, they listened to her. She said, you do what he tells you. She pointed to Jesus. Then Jesus became an authority to them. And Jesus made a very interesting request. It was an odd request. He didn't give any rationale. There was no explanation. He gave no reason. There, there's no wine at all left. But Jesus said, go fill those wash pots with water. Now, put yourself in the place of these servants. Imagine for, for a moment that you're one of these servants. You've worked hard all day. Perhaps even more than all day. Maybe for several days because weddings and, and that culture in the Near East at that time, they were multiple day events and festivities. Now, you've been serving people for a long time. You're tired. They've, they've been drinking since they've drank too much. And now you're being asked to go fill these wash pots. 20 to 30 gallons. Well, how many trips to the well is that? That's a lot of work. And by the way, how is this going to solve the problem? There's no wine. This lady tells us to listen to this guy who tells us to fill the pots. I don't know. If I'm one of those servants, I'm... I'm probably going to be reluctant. I'm probably going to be, what in the world am I going to be doing this for? But there's no questions from the servants. There's no record of them complaining or pushing back or asking why. Jesus gave direction. They followed the direction. They were obedient. Do whatever he tells you. That's great instruction for us too. Sometimes in the word of God, a command is given. But there's not much more in the way of reason or rationale. For example, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul and with all your strength. And Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. He also said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love the Lord. Love your neighbor. Love your enemies. There's not a whole lot of room for hate in there, is there? Actually, there is no room at all. And yet, we might want more explanation. We might want more rationale about why we have to do this. Why do I have to love everyone? Well, Jesus said, do it. Whatever he tells you. Obey everything I have commanded. This is what the Great Commission says. And to disobey, to disobey, that's that's expressing an authority problem. At, At its root, disobedience is an authority problem. The first sin was disobedience. And that's rebellion against God. That's rebellion against the authority of God. And we have no higher authority. We have no higher authority than that of Jesus Christ. In the Great Commission, Jesus began stating, all 
All authority, that's, that's mine, he said. All authority in heaven and on earth belong to Jesus. And he stated it straight away, very clearly. He's the greatest authority ever. And when the greatest authority ever, the supreme ruler of all, has given commands, and he's directed that those commands not only be taught, but they be obeyed, then that's what we do. Not just learn, obey them, observe them, put them into practice, apply them in life. That's what he did. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was the perfect model of absolute obedience to following all of the law of the Lord. Paul described it in his letter to the Philippian church. I give you part of it. Philippians chapter two, verses seven and eight. It's about Jesus. It said, he made himself nothing. Jesus, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I once gave a sermon from this passage of scripture and I asked the question, how is it that we could ever have the mind of Christ? Because this passage begins with that. Have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. But it's about a mindset, an attitude. And we can have that. We can have that mindset. We can have that attitude when we become a servant. But we have to be an obedient servant. We have to be obedient servants like Jesus. Obedient even when he asks us, commands us to things that don't make much sense to us. What Jesus did doesn't really make a whole lot of earthly sense. He made himself nothing. He stepped out of heaven. He stepped away from this great place of being equal with God. And it it says in that passage, he thought nothing of that. And he made himself nothing. And he took on flesh, flesh and blood of humankind to serve and to serve humbly, obediently, obedient to death, death on the cross. Why? It doesn't make any sense to us, but he did it so that we might gain eternal life. He was a true servant, obedient to death, obedient to the will of the Father. Facing crucifixion, Jesus prayed, Father, if it's possible, Let this cup pass. But Jesus also added, yet not as I will, but as you will. What's your will, Father? And then Jesus, who was the one who said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He did just that. After being nailed to a cross, being crucified, and that cross being raised, and he's hanging by nails in his hands and feet, Jesus prayed. And he prayed this prayer. 
Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Wow. There's an example of praying for your enemies, those who persecute you. I'm not sure if you've felt you've been persecuted or you you have enemies, but what an example that is of love your enemies. He's our perfect example, an example of obedience. And he's called us to follow him. And I know this, I can't follow him perfectly. I haven't been perfectly obedient. None of us can be perfectly obedient in this life. And yet Jesus calls us to it. He calls us to this life of obedience, to follow him. And when we fall short, and, and we will from time to time, he says, repent and continue following. Keep following. It's what we're here for. Our hope's not in ourselves, though many would tell us it should be. Our hope is not in ourselves. May it never be. Our hope, our only hope, is in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And he sent his Holy Spirit to live in us and to help us live this obedient life. Christ in us. It's the hope of glory. I don't know if you have the hope of Jesus Christ in you this morning. It all begins by being obedient by being obedient to his commands. And it really starts with this one command. You must be born again. I know many of you here say, I've been born again. But you you still may struggle. You still still may have difficulty, especially in, in, in what's going on in your life, in the world, in the country right now. Jesus in us, the hope of glory. If we focus on him and not on those things, Christ in us, it it helps us become more obedient. And if you've never, ever, ever said, I'm going to follow that command of, I must be born again, today's the day. Today's the day to turn your life over to him and gain eternal life. It's why he humbled himself to being obedient to the cross, to give his life for you, for all of us. Let's pray as we go. And if you've never done that, I invite you to do that, to to just turn your life over to Jesus Christ. He said, you must be born again. And for those of us who call ourselves born again, where we've struggled if we've fallen short if we have issues with being obedient to certain of these teachings of Jesus let's turn them over to him and ask for his help so that we can continue following him stronger better especially in all the things that we are experiencing let's stand and pray Lord Lord your your word is true we thank you for it We're here in this life 
as a preparation for the next. We're here this morning to learn more about you, to hear your word, to apply it to our lives. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus and his obedient example and his giving his life for us. God, if there's anyone here or listening who's never made that step to say, I, I want to turn my life over because I can't rely on myself. It never works. No one else I can rely on. They always fall short. But Jesus, you. God, your word says I must be born again. It just means I turn from my ways and repent of my rebellion against God and say, Jesus, I receive what you've done. God, if there's anyone who pray in that, Lord, I just ask your grace on them. I ask that you would touch that heart. I pray, Lord, that you would receive that sincerity. And God, those of us who have been born again and filled with the Holy Spirit and struggle from time to time with obedience, God, I pray that you would help us follow you more perfectly. Follow Jesus. Lord, help us. Help us when we're tempted to not be obedient to the things that we say, why? I want more explanation. Lord, help us to just walk in the way that you have asked us to without that need for why. Do whatever he says. God, help us to be people that do whatever Jesus has said. The full, the true word of God. Lord, if we've neglected it, turn our hearts to love your word. May we be like Jeremiah and have it burn, have it burn within us that desire for the full word of God. Lord, if there's people who've neglected and walked away and not been uh, willing to get into your word, God, I pray that you would renew it in us, renew it in us that desire, the desire for your true and your rich word, the living word. God, that we would be fed by it and get back to daily bread. Lord, I just pray that. I pray that for all of us. And I ask that blessing on all of us in the powerful and the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.